8.15. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Uh, just want to briefly introduce my pastor, Mark Forrest, from Lakeside Baptist Church. He's got something really great for you today. Uh, if I remember what he told me, it's Mephoshef. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. Uh, everybody knows how to pronounce that. So I guess uh, if you want to, take it away, start yeah. us in prayer, whatever you feel comfortable with. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this group together, that as we gather together, Lord, that you would help us to uh, learn something about um, your word and, and learn something about ourselves, and Lord, that we might be more like you as a result of this uh, time together. I thank you for the faculty and staff, <clears throat> and we pray for them today as well. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to give you three definitions before I jump into the story. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. But grace is getting what you don't deserve. And of course, when the grace that comes from the Lord uh, is the best kind of grace, I've loved this acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. So I want to tell you a story that sort of illustrates grace in the life of a man named Mephibosheth. Now, his name, names are always important in scripture, right? His name means son of shame. Well, the history is that his father was Jonathan, and most of you know Jonathan was a prince, the son of King Saul, the very first king over Israel. So he's born into a royal family. Often in the Old Testament, people would have two different names, and so Mephibosheth had another name, his royal name. His royal name was Mirabal. Mirabal means the opponent of Baal. Baal is the Canaanite god in the Old Testament, so his name that name, the royal name, meant that he was a champion against evil, which would be Baal. So how does Mephibosheth go from a champion of good to being a son of shame? Again, the names mean something, right? Uh, going from a hero to a zero. How did that happen? Well, that's the story today. We'll be in 2 Samuel chapter 9. A man who is bloodied from head to toe comes running into the palace and said that King Saul... And all of his sons are dead. So all of a sudden, Mephibosheth is an orphan now. He has no father. He has no grandfather. And the remaining family had already fled from the palace. And as this happens, and I'm reading from chapter 4, 2 Samuel, he was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled. But as she hurried to leave, she fell. And he became crippled. So add that to the list. Now he's disabled. And also, it's a time back then, you can imagine, there's no wheelchairs. I saw somebody with a little scooter, no scooters. <laughs> no prosthetics. But it's really more than that. There was a stigma for people who had any kind of ailment. The stigma was, back then, most people saw any kind of physical disability you might have as a judgment of God or a curse from God. They believed that either you sinned or your parents sinned? Does anybody remember that question posed to Jesus? And, and what did Jesus say? He said, neither. Now that was in the case of the blind man Jesus in, encountered. So disability was a mark of shame. And if shame had a son, his name would be, guess what it is? Mephibosheth. I know you're afraid to say it, right? Here's the thing about Hebrew words. Say it with confidence. Nobody knows whether you're pronouncing it right or not. So that's just a little free advice for you. Mephibosheth. So most were reduced to begging. So not only was he orphaned, not only was he disabled, but for the next 20 years he would live his life in fear, and he's on the run because 
back then, a rival king, when, when he would take power, would normally make sure that all of the previous king's family was put to death. Now, King David, he didn't have any intention of doing that, but Saul's family didn't know that, so they're all on the run. And the nurse took Mephibosheth to a place called, here's another Hebrew word, Lodabar. Lo in Hebrew means no, and Debar means pasture land. So it's desolate. Think West Texas, okay? It's a place of poverty. You can almost picture a tumbleweed blowing across town, right? So if you've ever had the question in your life, why is all this happening to me? Even though Mephibosheth's heart must have skipped a beat every time he heard a knock at the door, his life is about to be interrupted by the kindness of God. And that's really what this story is about. It's about grace. You see, once King David comes into power, he summons one of the palace officials named Ziba. He was actually a former palace official of King Saul as well. And he asks him if there's any surviving family that he knows about. This is what happens, and I'm reading from 2 Samuel 9. Now, there was a servant named Ziba from Saul's family. So David's servants called Ziba to him. King David said to him, Are you Ziba? He answered, Yes, I am your servant. The king asked, Is anyone left in Saul's family? I want to show God's kindness to that person. Ziba answered the king, Jonathan has a son still living who is crippled in both feet. The king asked Ziba, Where is this son? Now, did you notice Ziba doesn't even mention his name? It's almost like he's just discounting the fact that there's this one son, but he's crippled, so he's really not palace-worthy. But David just simply asked, where is this son? Do you realize when God looks at you and me, that's what he sees, a son or a daughter? And that's the beautiful thing. It's not about whether we have a disability or whether we have a, some kind of deficit on our life. He simply sees us as his child. And so David dispatches these soldiers to go find this son of Jonathan. Now, back then, social media wasn't too strong, and so it just became word of mouth. You know, all he knew was that the soldiers were looking for him. Probably not good news in his mind, right? So, it says this, and I'm reading in 2 Samuel 9, 6. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. So did you catch that? Mephibosheth, who's probably expecting to have his head chopped off by the soldiers, the first words out of David's mouth are, don't be afraid. Did you know that that's God's most often repeated promise to us? God says 366 times in his word, fear not, for I am with you. And so that's the promise that David shares with Mephibosheth. David tells him he's going to restore everything. Every day he will experience from that point on what it means to be a part of a family. He will always eat at the king's table. And everything that he needs will be supplied. So that's a big difference in his life, right? A big shift in his life. He must have asked the question along the way, why me? Well, what we believe as followers of Jesus is the only, way, only thing that can change a human heart is God's grace. And it's a beautiful metaphor or parallel to what God does for us. And I want you to look at how David uses this phrase because this phrase that I'm about to share with you is the most important phrase in all of the Old Testament to show 
God's kindness. Now, David repeats that phrase three different times. The Hebrew word that I'm saying is the most important is the Hebrew word chesed. It occurs 240 times in the Old Testament. It's translated in different ways in the English language, loving kindness, mercy, favor, goodness, and of course, as we said at the beginning, grace. Vine's Dictionary describes it as one of the most important words in Old Testament theology. It's a love that's undeserved. It's a love that's unearned. It's a love that's not repayable. And it's a costly kind of love that spares no expense. Does that sound like a New Testament word that you've heard before? Or what's that? Agape love, right? Agape love, it's God's love. It's the love that sent Christ to the cross. So where do we get kindness, grace, and mercy? From God, right? But we don't reciprocate that because God doesn't need your grace, love, and mercy, does he? God says the evidence that your life has received grace is not that you return it to him, but rather that you share it with others. The best example I could share with you is from the New Testament when Jesus is washing his disciples' feet. You would almost expect Jesus in that moment to say, now that I've washed your feet, then you wash, what do you expect him to say? my feet. But Jesus doesn't say that. What does he say? Now that I've washed your feet, now you go and wash others. And so that's really the reflection of the Christian life, isn't it? That God doesn't need our grace and mercy, but other people do. And that's the best evidence that you have received God's grace. Because we, as followers of Jesus, don't we also get to sit at the king's table? Let me pray for you one more time. Father, thank you again for the beauty of your word that teaches us powerful things like your grace and your mercy. We pray that the story of Mephibosheth would remind us that we have this great privilege to sit at your table every day as we read your word, as we encounter you in very real ways. I thank you again for these students and I pray that, that their life would continue to be amazed by your grace. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.